this month, we've been talking about starting over, about the regrets that we carry and how we carry them and um, how all of us really long for next time to be better than last time. We all have a last time, but God invites us to make next time better than last time. And we want to talk, we've been talking about how to get unstuck from regret. You know, we learned learning about how, how the mistakes that we make today can be things that we don't repeat over and over again. So last week, we talked about regret, seeing regret as a starting line, not a finish line. Seeing it as a place of not like, I'm finished, but rather a place that God does transformational work in us and something really important. And in the next two weeks, starting to this week, we're going to talk about some practices that we think can really help you turn a corner, that there's some things that we can learn. We've been looking at all these scriptural stories because there's stories of regret and turning corners and redemption and all of this all through the scripture. And so we're going to look at two stories over the next two weeks that help us understand how do I turn a corner and make next time better than last time. So this week we're going to talk about owning it and what that means. Next week we're going to talk about redeeming it and what it would feel like to be redeemed in this and see our mistakes redeemed in a way that we could even imagine. Now, when it comes to owning it, so here's the thing. None of us like to admit when we've made a mistake. Is that, is that fair to say? My, my dad used to actually have this thing. So growing up, we, we used to laugh about it, um, and it was kind of funny but not funny. You know what I mean? So he would, he would do this thing whenever he would make a mistake. So anytime there was something lost, like it was always someone else who must have put it someplace. Whenever there was something that would get broke, if you were if you had the car and it broke, like you would he would be like, Oh, I can't believe you broke the car. And later you'd find out that he like he would admit that, like, well, I, I did hear that noise earlier, right? And so but whenever you'd go to him and be like, wait a second, wait a second, I kinda caught you red-handed here, he would do get this little smirk on his face, and there was this old country song that I used to love to sing. It was called Lord. It's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. And he would just start singing this song, and, we, and it would kind of break the moment, and we would laugh, but you would never hear, I'm sorry, you would just hear him sing this song, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. And so, you know, it, that's true for all of us in some ways. When we're, when we're tackling this own it thing, here's the thing. If you don't own it, if you don't, if you don't want to repeat your past, right? If you don't want to keep doing the stuff that you're doing, then you've got to own your part of your past. Because if you don't own your past, you're going to repeat your past. If you don't want to make your past part of your future, then you have to pause long enough to evaluate it, to be honest enough to say, here's my part of the past. Here's my part of that mistake. Here's the thing I should have done differently. And so, like, when you look at things at work, things that have gone wrong, you've got to own your part of it if you want it to get better. In your relationships, there's broken parts of your relationship. There's things that didn't work in your relationship. There's things you shouldn't have said in your relationship. You've got to own your part of those relationships. There are bad habits in your finances, and if you ever want them changed, you've got to own your part of those bad habits and those mistakes. And if you're going to own, if there's things in your spiritual life that you're like, man, I just wish that was better, until you own the parts that are keeping you back, that are that you're resisting, that are keeping you from moving forward, you're going to be stuck. So here's the question. Why do we skip this step? Why does every one of us have this propensity just to resist it, to resist actually moving forward in it? Why do we avoid owning it? I think the answer is easy, right? Because it's not your fault. 
It's not your fault, right? Like, like she said what she said. I, it's not my fault, you know? And you, you, look at, you look at your relationships and we go think, say things like, well, he didn't tell me about his addiction. It's not my fault. Or, or we, look at, we look at the test that we didn't study, but we didn't do well on, and we say, well, how was I supposed to know how hard the open book test was? I think it was open book. It shouldn't have been that hard, right? Like, it's not my fault. So here's the thing. You and I, we have something in common. We don't like the story where we come up short. Right? We, none of us like that story. So here's what we do. We shift the story to a story that we like better. One where it's unfair. It was just unfair. I didn't have control over it. So we tell how dishonest or how wrong that other person was or how that situation should have been the way it was or how unhealthy someone else was because we don't like the story that includes our part of the past. Now, the best way for you to make sure that next time is better than last time is to own your past. It's to say, if I'm going to start over, I have to own it. Now, here's the good news, I think, in this story. It's a part of all of us. It's normal. Everybody does this. You're not the first person to blame somebody else for something that happened in your life. You're not the first person to get so enamored with your own story that you're like, wow, I'm really good in this story, and I, I don't have junk in the story. You're not the first person to think, be afraid that if I own my past, it's going to wreck my future. So instead, we tell a different story where people will feel bad for us, where we can be the hero. But here's why I believe that it's so common. Here's why I believe that every one of us, every one of us on the planet has the same propensity because you are related to the first two people on the planet. And you're the first two people on the planet, the first two human beings, Adam and Eve, they had the same issue. They had the same problem. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the story from Genesis. Now, here's what's brilliant about the story from Genesis. It was written more than 6,000 years ago. And the truths that, we, that come out of the story, it is so true to human nature, it is so real that this ancient, ancient story that's 6,000 years old still applies to us today. How many stories do you know like this? That, but they can be 6,000 years old, and when you read them, you're like, right there it is. Yes, that is exactly the way we are. And this is the genius of the story. And so we're going to look at the story in Genesis, and you, can, you want to pull out the scoop and look inside. There's an outline for you to follow along this morning, and Take some notes and follow along with the scriptures as we enter in. So let's start, let's get a, a handle of, of where we start this morning. Here, here it is. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28. So God created human beings in his own image. In his own image, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And that God blessed them. And this is what he said to them. He said, be fruitful and multiply Fill the earth and govern it. So God creates humans and he creates them in his own image. And there they are. They're in the garden, male and female. God blesses them and he says, listen, your only job here is to be fruitful and multiply. That's it. It sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Like, wouldn't that be great? That's, that's, that's the only thing you've got to worry about. Be fruitful and multiply. But, but God, God says, listen, in this paradise that I've created for you, I just have one rule. 
Just, just one, just one rule. Here it is. Verse 15 of chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God placed man, placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and to watch over it. But the Lord warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For if you eat of its fruit, you shall surely die. Now, can you imagine Adam? He's like, okay, all right, so I think I got it. There's just one rule. I can't eat of this, but, but what about the other rules, God? Because I, I don't want to mess this up. Like, there can't just be one rule. What are the other rules, God, that, that like, I, I don't want to mess this up, right? Like, just, just the guard. What, what else thing? What are the things I have to worry about? Nope, nope, just, just this one rule. Listen, Adam, you can run around the garden naked, right? Every other tree is a smorgasbord, but that one tree, that one tree, that's the only one that's off limits. That's the only one. That's just this one rule. Now, this, to us, this seems kind of weird. Like, really? Just, just one rule. But here, here's the point of the one rule. The point of the one rule is that it establishes free choice. It establishes this, what, what God's really saying is here, listen, I just put one tree in the garden. Here's why I put the tree in the garden. Because this one rule is really not about one rule. It's about your choice to say, will you trust me? You can lean into obedience and you can choose to trust me. To trust that what I'm telling you is true. That I am a good, good father. That you can just trust me. You can, you can lean into the reality that I have your best in mind. That I am choosing to protect your greatest joys. Or you can disobey this one rule. You can do it your way. You can choose not to trust me. But here's the thing. I'm not, I didn't make robots. I won't have robots. Not people without free choice. So it's not complicated. You can choose to love me or not. It's not a hard rule. It's not a complicated rule. It's just about trusting me. Now, how many of you know what happens next in the story? Right? Adam and Eve, like, so what do they do? They do the same thing that every one of us did when we were kids. When our parents said, don't do that, what did we do? We did it. We were like, you know what? The first, the, the first word out of your child's mouth was disappointing to you, wasn't it? Because it wasn't mama and dada. It was no. They knew how to say no. Why did they know how to say no? Because it's, it's just, it's part of it. What Adam and Eve did here is not foreign to us. It's part of us. You catch that? What Adam and Eve did here is not foreign to any of us. It's part of us of who we are. It is hard why it's wired into us. And this is really important. And here's why. Because according to Christians, okay, this is part of, part of our belief is that in the beginning, there was just one rule. Just one rule. God created this one rule and he envisioned a place where people could have a relationship with him. He envisioned a place where it was, the Eden was designed perfectly it worked perfectly. God, God walked with them. He had a relationship with Adam and Eve. He spoke to them directly. They didn't fear him. They, they could live under his loving authority. They could choose to know him as a good, good father. I mean, there was no need in that case for a lot of rules. There was only just relationship. There's no disobedience in that moment. There's no brokenness. There's no depression bonds. This is what we believe. Now, 
here's the thing. Adam and Eve broke this one rule. And this is basic Christian theology, that in breaking this one rule, here's what we believe, that when they broke this rule, sin and disobedience entered into the world. And it entered into us. And we all became sinners. Now, here's what that means. That means our will, your will is not naturally bent towards obedience. Your will isn't naturally bent towards doing things that are loving and kind and good. Now, you might be like, ah, I don't know. Like, no, I think I'm a pretty good person. If you think that your will, that humans are naturally bent towards doing good, just have kids, okay? Just have kids. And if your first one is a really good kid, have another one because eventually you get one like me. And then you're like, you're right. It's clearly like something is messed up here. We can all relate to Adam and Eve, right? That our, our wills, because, and because the truth is we would rather disobey the rules. We would rather do things that are about us and that are good for us than that are good for others. We would rather trust ourselves than trust God. We would rather be in control than let God be in control. Now, you might still be like, ah, I don't know about that. I don't, I don't know that my will's really bent towards, towards disobedience. I don't know if I really, I don't know if I can really relate to Adam and even this. So let, let, me, let, me, let me put it a different way. And I, I, this, I think you're going to relate to this and go like, okay, I admit it. So is your will bent towards following the rules? You don't even follow your own rules. For instance, you know you should exercise three times a week. You don't do it. You know that you should eat, not eat certain things. You still eat them, right? You, you know that there's certain things you shouldn't say, and you still say them. You don't even obey your own rules. You don't need the Bible to tell you that you're a sinner, right? You just need to take an honest look at your life and say, yeah, I don't obey. The, I'm, it's not how my will is bent. And so here's the thing, like, and all you need to do is look around at the world, look around at yourself, take an honest look at yourself, and you can say, you can honestly say, somewhere along the line, something ugly got tangled up inside of you and inside of me. Something ugly happened there, and it got it all tangled up inside of us. And so, as Christians, we believe that the story of Adam and Eve explains it. Right? We, we believe that that's, that's where it happened. We have something to blame it on. So if you don't believe that, that's okay. But all the messed up stuff in your life, it's your fault because you don't have anybody to blame it on, right? So that's, that's the, best, the good part about being a Christian is you've got some place to point to and say, that's where it happened. That's where it happened. So, so Adam and Eve, they break this one rule, right? There's this one rule. They do something afterwards. And what they do after they break this rule every one of you is going to recognize this behavior, right? Every one of you is going to say, yeah, I recognize this. So here it is. So it's Genesis chapter 3. Now we've progressed through the story. They break this one rule. Genesis 3, 8. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife, Adam and Eve, heard the Lord God walking in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Okay. They break the one rule. Now remember, God's walked with them. He spoke. They kind of they have a picture of God that you and I just, we can only fathom because like, they've known him as their creator. He's walked with them. 
So they break the one rule. And what is their first response? To hide from God in the garden he created. Right? Not smart. Like, that's not the brightest idea of the thing. But here's the thing. When we do, when we do it messed up, when we mess up and do dumb things, we do dumb things. Like, we, we try to hide from her. Like, oh, I, I still remember when I was a teenager, I dented my dad's car, right? Like, I was, I, I, big surprise. Like, you guys have heard my kids' stories. They get it honestly. So I, I dented my dad's car. So here's what I did. I drove home, and I'm like, man, how am I going to, like, I don't want to get in trouble for this. So I parked the car so the dent would be facing away from the house. Now, my dad works nights. He comes home in the morning down the driveway, and guess which way the dent's facing in the morning? Yeah, towards him. Like, hashtag not smart, right? But when we mess up, we all do dumb things. And one of the things that we do that's dumb is we hide. We hide. Now, here's the brilliance of this whole story that of creation and what happened there and why it got recorded is this. And you got to, I don't want you to miss this because it points out something that's embedded in all of our human nature and who we are. When we do something wrong, we hide. We hide. We don't own it. We hide. We feel guilt. We feel shame. And so we hide. We don't stop what we're doing. We just hide it. And eventually, someone catches us. And when they catch us, what do we say? Sorry. Now, you want to know why people don't take your sorry seriously? Because you've been doing the same thing over and over and over and hiding it. And the only reason that you're sorry now, why is it? Because you got caught. Yeah. It's part of us. And what were you doing that allowed you to repeat this bad behavior and these mistakes over and over and over again? You were hiding. You were hiding. And so they just kept repeating. You hid your shame, you hid your guilt, you hid your sin. Now we talked about this last week that a big part of the reason that we hide is because when we do things wrong, and we, when, we see, when we go off the rails, we see it as the finish. We're like, there's no way God can take me back. There's no way that this is redeemable. And Jesus says, no, it absolutely is. In that moment is where great transformation happens. In that moment is where you can start over. So I want to look at what happens for Adam and Eve. They, they mess up. They break this one rule. I mean, and it's not just one rule, right? Like, this is not just their first sin. This is the first sin. This is the original sin. This is, they have this relationship with God, and all of a sudden it's severed, and they've never known. And it's not like you and I who had to figure out, like, what's a relationship with God ever feel like, because I, I, I didn't have one. It's, I had one. I knew the perfection of that, and all of a sudden it's severed. I've never felt guilt. Genesis 3, verses 9 and 10. So then the Lord God called to the man. Remember, they're hiding. He says, where are you? And Adam replies, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. 
Now, there's all kind of things we could talk about from there, but I just want to talk about one thing. When Adam and Eve mess up and they go hide in the garden, who comes looking for them? God. Who says, I refuse to let you hide and continue on this path? Who says, I'm not going to let you feel shame forever? God. God does. In fact, in the ensuing conversation, you go read Genesis 3, in the ensuing conversation, God even talks about the way he will eventually deliver them. He reminds them of all the consequences that come out of this. One of them is redemption. One of them is forgiveness. It goes on in Genesis 3. Because God's saying, listen, I'm looking for you. And this is, this is the whole point of this. Is God's looking for you, and he's not looking to punish you. But he's looking to restore you. He's looking to release you. And this is, this is where I want you to see in the story the conversation that happens. So, verse 11 when God finds them, this is what he says. He says, who told you that you were naked? Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Did you break the one rule? Who told you you were guilty over this? And of course, we know what Adam said, right? He said, yeah, yeah, no, God, I did it. I did it. It was all me. It wasn't Eve. Leave her out of it. She's innocent. Right? Now, that's what he should have said, but that's not what he said. Right? In that moment, what really happened, verse 12, the man replied, it was the woman you gave me. She gave, she, she gave me the fruit. She did it. And I just, I just ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent, the serpent deceived me. I mean, that's why I ate it. So what's Adam and Eve's response? In this moment, what's their response? In this moment where they sinned and they were hid and they were caught, what do they decide is the best course of action? Blame. Let me try blaming. In fact, you know, if you read Adam's, Adam's response carefully. This is what he's saying. He's like, listen, it's her fault. It's her fault. She did it. And by the way, God, you created her, so it's really your fault. So I'm open to your apology, you know, we could, and you can go have a conversation with her, right? And Eve, she's so startled by the fact that Adam just threw her under the bus that she's like, uh, uh, well, uh, uh, it was the serpent. He did it. See, God, you're, you're just like Adam. You're always misplacing your things in the garden. And it was the serpent. You misplaced him. There he was. He did it. So not my fault. Not my fault, God. Not my fault. Don't blame me. They did the same thing as you and I would do. Right? They didn't like the story. They didn't like the story the way it was going to come out. That's what they do. They look for a better story. They said, there's a better story here. Not going to own it. Now, this is tempting for every one of us. Say, I'm not going to own my part of the story. So here's what we do. We tell a story that's mostly true. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, it's not like it's not true at all. It's just that it's mostly true. Adam's story was mostly true. God created Eve. Eve ate of the tree. Eve brought it home for him. That was mostly true. 
And here's the, here's the real danger in this. When we retell a better story that's 90% true and we leave our part out, if you retell that story often enough, and I've seen it happen over and over and over again, when you retell that story over and over and over again, you will start to believe it. And do you know what happens when you start to believe it? Guess what happens next time? Because when you start to tell that story over and over, it's just your way of hiding. It's your way of going into the garden and hiding. No, 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 not my fault. Didn't do it. I'm not going to, no, 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 here's the real story. And guess what happens next time when a situation happens? The same thing that happened last time. Same thing. It's not going to get any better. Because if you don't own your past, you will relive it again in your future. If you don't own your story, you will be doomed to rewrite it again and again and again. But here's the truth you need to understand from the gospel. And we find it in the story of Adam and Eve, and then we find it through the rest of the story of the scriptures that once you own it, Jesus says he'll release you from it. That there is freedom from it once you own it. But you can't blame your way to a better future. So long as you revert to blaming something or someone instead of owning your part, you're just going to smuggle all that stuff into your future. You're hiding it not just from God, you're not just hiding it from others, you're hiding it from yourself. And you're just going to smuggle it right into your future. And all the junk that you've had in your past is going to come along with you to your future. So here's the question. This is it. You have got to own your part of your story. If you want to next time to be better than last time, if you want a better day, if you want a chance to start over, if you want to be released from the things in your past so that you can have a future that God, then you gotta, you gotta own it. Because that's how God releases you from it. You gotta bring it in front of Him so that God can free you from it. See, that's why Jesus came. So long as you avoid that conversation with Jesus, so long as you try to hide all that junk in your life, you get no clarity about your future. You get no understanding about what God wants to do there. But the moment you own it, the moment you realize that Jesus came for this very reason to free you from it, to release you from it, to have you go, this is what it really is, God. I see it how it really is. I own my part of whatever it is. This, I own my part of this relationship. I own my part of this finances. I own my part. As long as, until you're ready to do that, you can't be free. But Jesus says, the moment you do that, the moment you start hiding it, the moment once you own it, Jesus says, he'll release you. But as long as you hide it, you'll be stuck by it. You'll be worried about, now, and I know that this happens. This is real. Because I, I know it for myself. If I own that, what are others going to think of me? If I own that, what is God going to think of me? If I own that, will it just wreck my future instead of being freed from it? So let me remind you, when Adam and Eve messed up, and they hid, and they blamed, who came looking for them? God did. 
Who set in a plan of motion in that very moment to rescue not only them, but every person in humanity that would follow them? Who set the plan in motion to rescue you and me from the places in our life that we are messed up? God did. Jesus said, I'll go. I'll take it on me. Listen, you need to own it. Because, and here's why. Because owning it is the gateway to joy. You want to have joy in your life? Then you've got to own it because owning it is the gateway to joy. Owning it is the gateway to freedom. Owning it is the gateway to forgiveness and release. The Apostle Paul often talks about sin, and when he does, if you look through Romans, you look through Titus, you know what he says? He doesn't just say, you lied once. He says, you're a liar. In other words, he's saying, listen, it's in you. This ugly part of you is in you. And if you want forgiveness to mean something, if you want forgiveness to truly release you from something, then you've got to own it. Because that's the only time forgiveness means something. When you don't own it, you ask for forgiveness, it's just, I'm sorry, I got caught. But when you own it, and you ask God to forgive it, and you are released from it, that's when forgiveness becomes powerful in your life. That's when the start of, the start of restoration starts. Listen, Jesus didn't choose the best people. I mean, if you look at his list of disciples, he didn't choose the best people. Look around you right now. He didn't choose the best people. He chose you and me. Not because we were the best people. Not because we had our act together. He chose you because he loves you. And when Jesus says, follow you know what his invitation really is? Own it and be free. Follow me as an invitation to the great release, to own our failures, to own our sin, and to experience the transformation that God wants for you in your life. And so that's what I'm going to invite you to do this morning at the communion table before you come. Take an honest look at your life, your relationship, your finances, and your work your friendships. Say, what, what have I been hiding? I need to own it. I need to own it this morning. So in communion, that's what it allows us to do. So the question this morning is this. Will you walk through the gateway to joy? Will you own it so forgiveness means something this morning? Will you be released from regret? Because God, that's what God wants to do. He wants to release you this morning. The really only question is, will you say yes? Will you say yes by saying, I'll bring it out into the open, God? Now, inside your program guide today, there's a little card that says, I own it. I want you to pull it out. I want everybody to pull it out this morning. because This is kind of your ticket to communion this morning. Okay? When you come forward, I want you to be able to bring this. You know what confession is? Confession is when you come out of hiding and into the loving presence of God who came pursuing you and you say, God, I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to take a leap of faith that you're going to forgive this. That you're going to give me a new day. And I'm going to own it. So, in just a minute, I'm going to step back. And we're just going to give you some time to own it. Three or four minutes, maybe five, I don't know. Let's just see what God's doing in the room. And I want you to take time this morning to own it.
What's God saying to you? What's the Holy Spirit speaking into your life this morning? Where's that place in your life you're just like, haven't really owned that? What's the place in your life that you're like, I want that to be better next time. I'm tired of it the way it was before. I need to own my part of it. And you just underneath that says my confession. God, I own, and you just fill it in. Whatever you see as your part of that, you own it this morning. Once you own it, I'm going to give you some of that time, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to invite you to bring that forward and put them in the basket and to do an exchange this morning for a new promise of the new covenant to be released and have freedom. I'm going to step back, and I'm going to let you guys this morning just sit quietly, listen to music. God, what do I need to own this morning? Just record it on that card. Lord Jesus, this morning, we just come before you and admit we've got some ugly stuff that's been tangled up inside of us. It's so easy for us to hide. It's so easy for us to be afraid to bring things in front of you, to be freed from them. We're afraid of what you'll think. Jesus, you're calling us this morning to own our mistakes, to own our regrets, so that you can release us from them. So this morning, Jesus, we bring our sorrows and our sin, we bring them to you, and we trade them for joy. 
We trust that the ashes of our past will be fertile soil for a new day to be born. We give up fear because you have come looking for us to say, I love you. It's time for a new day. It's time to start over. Lord, help us to do that well this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning I invite you during this next song to just bring this card forward. This basket's right here and just you can fold it up if you want. You just throw it in the basket if you want. Our communion servers are going to be up front. But as you come, here's what I want you to understand. Here's what you're doing this morning. You're taking the stuff that you own you're bringing it forward and you're making an exchange. And this is the exchange Jesus said communion was about. It was about the reminder of the new covenant, the new promise that your sins will not be held against you if you'll just receive forgiveness. That you'll be released and have a new day in Jesus and that he'll do a restorative work in you over and over and over again. Because that was the work on the cross. That was the point of the cross. That you have hope for a new day because that was the point of the resurrection. And that is what we celebrate on communion. A place to start over. A place for God to do something new in us. So as you bring that card this morning, may it mean something to you. May it be real and sacred, that part that you had to own this morning, the reality of your sin. May it be so real to you that forgiveness means something deeply to you this morning. May you receive it. I'm going to stand and let the community service come forward. And when you're ready, you can come forward and celebrate communion with us.